of Hey Hey Agave. I am Sabrina, your host, and today on the show, we have Noah Ehrenstein. Noah is a practicing lawyer and was the owner of the late great Madre Mescaleria in Brooklyn, New York. He is currently the GM at the Michelin-starred restaurant Claro in the Gowanus neighborhood of Brooklyn, owned by the chef TJ Steele that highlights Oaxacan-style cuisine. Noah is another person who is lucky enough to be part of the now infamous Durango trip, We talk about the Ceniso agave and the different flavor profiles it produces in comparison to the Angustifolia or Espadines of Oaxaca, along with the Durango fermentation style and the different lengths of fermentation time in certain areas of Durango. Noah offers a well-rounded explanation of what it's like to be on the purchasing end of the industry and what he looks for when deciding whether or not to add a brand to Claro's exceptional agave distillate menu. Some may call it an archive, actually. We discuss his interest in promoting field blends and his passion for espadines and now Seniso expressions. I would encourage anyone listening to go visit Claro and have Noah curate a truly wonderful tasting experience. Images and topics we discuss can be found on our website, tuyo.nyc, on the Hey Hey Agave page. Please send us your comments, corrections, and any ideas you may have to hola at tuyo.nyc. And if you like what you hear, would you please rate and review us? It really, really helps us out. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Here is our conversation with Noah Ehrenstein. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hey, Hey, Agave. Today, we are joined by Noah Ehrenstein. Hey, Noah. Hi. And Gabrielle, of course. Hi. I have so much content that I did research on for you. Um, <laughs> we, we stuck you. <laughs> we stuck you. <laughs> That's a exciting. Bit. Okay. Well, you know, you have a really colorful history. And so I think I'd like to just start off by reading out some of the titles that you've held. Okay. <laughs> Is that all right? Did I send you my resume? No, but I kind of like. We got I, it. We got it out of Craigslist. <laughs> I like, I stalked you on Google and then you sent me some of the, you answered some of the questions that okay. I had asked. Okay. So, okay. So this is what I have. I have um, a lawyer. Sure. A chef. Technically. A restaurateur. Yes. Slash partner. Slash sure. investor. Sure. A bar owner. Yes. A restaurant owner and manager. Okay. And I, I want to say an agave expert, but whenever I say that, people get really mad at me. So I'm going to call you an agave distillate enthusiast. An enthusiast. I like enthusiasts. Yes. Okay. That's what I got. Yeah. How, how enthusiast are you? Too enthusiastic. Too enthusiastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to the point where I think I'm turned off my family and friends by just talking about mezcal all the time. I think we are in a crusade. <laughs> That's why we're here together right now. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's really interesting that you said that because in part of um, what you were telling me in in the email was that, so you grew up um, around the Cincinnati area. Sure. And so bourbon was a thing. Bourbon was like the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Were you as enthusiastic about bourbon as you find yourself about agave distillates? No, no. I did like bourbon, but like I didn't even know what enthusiasm was until I started drinking mezcal. (laughs) Um, and then also quickly, because uh, I think people might want to know this, um, what kind of law do you practice or did you practice? Uh, I still practice. I have done like quite a bit of different types of law. I was uh, a civil litigator for a while. Uh, I come from a family of criminal defense attorneys. So I worked for like the Innocence Project for a while. Oh, working on wow. like, That uh, organization exotic- is amazing. Yeah, that was a very cool job. That was over 10 years ago now. Um and I've done a lot of work with uh, restaurants and small food businesses. 
uh, to kind of help them with their yeah. yeah there's a lot of different legal needs that arise so i've been oh, I'm doing sure that for quite a while now too. yeah oh yeah lots of stories but you know attorney client privilege i'm still technically an attorney so and we will observe that know, we can talk about dutifully. this off air <laughs> so um i mean smorgasbord is the first thing that came up on my mm-hmm. radar is that correct uh well so i actually you know one of the things that you didn't include was uh i was a food writer for a while I, you know i kind of started this as like a food blogger in like 2010 and it spiraled from there and uh you know i, I became an editor of a website that uh, focused on real cheap eats it was basically it was called real cheap eats like 10 dollars and under food in new york city and we worked with like a lot of great writers to compile you know this really you know we wanted to find what was good not what was popular and so we compiled this great list of i think there was ultimately like 300 different entries on our website of 10 dollars and under dishes throughout new york city is that still active it's still online. It hasn't been updated in, in five, six years now. Oh, it's like a piece of history. I know it's a piece. It's a piece That's of history when writing about that field was much more dynamic than it is today. Yeah, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, and then from there, I kind of transitioned to you know I was cooking a lot at home. Um, I wanted to kind of learn, you know, get my dip my toe in, and we, my my partner, my then partner and I founded a uh, a food business called Sharf and Zoyer that was essentially uh, global Jewish sandwiches with a tagline. He was a baker and I was more like, uh, you know, helping devise dishes. And, you know, I'm a good cook too. I'm a professional at this point, I guess. I came across <laughs> something. You're, that you're I an wanna... enthusiastic cook. I'm also a cook, cooking enthusiast. I, yes. I came across two quotes <laughs> from Sharf and Zoyer. From, <laughs> I just want to say them. I'm so okay. nervous. So classic Jewish flavors reinvented in sandwich form. And this is my favorite, the Kugel Double Down. Yeah, the Kugel Double Down yeah. was like a joke on the menu. And that was like what, that was the only thing anybody wanted to talk about. Um, I had this brilliant idea to take a savory Kugel, you know, cook it, you chill it, then you pop it out of a loaf pan, you slice it, and then you just fry it up on, with some butter mm-hmm. on, the, on the plancha and <laughs> use that as bread. So that was, you know, that was the Kugel Double Down. That sounds amazing. It was really was it amazing. Popular? It was, it was, the, we was sold it? more of that than anything. <laughs> and there were so much better things on the menu. Yeah. And we just became the Kugel Double Down people. And it was, yeah. you know, it was kind of uh, a good uh, first experience in the New York City uh, cooking scene. Yeah. And that was right in the beginning of Smorgasbord, right? Yeah. I think it was maybe their second or second year. Yeah. 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 So you learned a lot. I did. Yes. Yeah. And I met a lot of people there really kind of helped put me into like actual actually working in food. And so help me make that transition then because I know that you invested in a restaurant and then you went ahead and you started your own, but I know there were a couple steps in between. Yeah, there. so I was kind of after Smorgasburg I kind of transitioned to doing a lot of food events and like pop-ups. Uh and from there I was still I was actually representing a lot of food business food businesses at the time too. Um and somebody approached me to help open a barbecue spot called Arrogant Swine in um bushwick where they roast whole whole hog yeah whole carolina whole hog barbecue and and then bourbon and whiskey like we Mm -hmm. talked about so like i was like okay so you're still kind of in the bourbon yeah yeah yeah. so i was like very much into it for a period then yeah uh and after i helped open that uh this opportunity came up for you know this really nice space that i was super into in prospect heights and we were you know i had my partner at the time and i were like oh what do we do there we're gonna open like a charcuterie like all day thing and that fell through and through 
my work with Real Cheap Eats, where I was uh, kind of going through the Bronx a lot, eating a lot of food up there. I you know uh, became friendly with a, a chef named Denise Chavez, who you know once we had this space, it was I drove up to the Bronx and kind of sold her on this idea of opening a version of her Mexican restaurant together in, in Brooklyn. And but it was two separate spaces, right? So and initially it was yeah, initially okay. it was El Torredero uh-huh. when we first opened. Um, that was at the end of 2015. We opened Madre, the mezcal bar next door, in 2016. Uh, chef retired in March of last year, and at that time we were like, well, you know, El Torredero was so associated with sh- with her. It's weird to be El Torredero without her. Mm. So where, where is she from? She's from uh, Atlisco Puebla, okay. where most service professionals in absolutely the restaurant industry in New York are from. Puebla, from York. Mexico. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's that one town yeah. too. It's yeah. like it's like a direct artery. Oh my gosh! Yeah. 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 Like I. Yeah. It's you can just assume that that that's where some people are from. Yeah. Um. So yeah, she retired. We we combined the spaces as Madre. Um, and we were open until this past January. Yeah, it was an amazing space. Yeah, it was a great. Yeah. It was a great run. Yeah, and it was. It was a great run, and it was a wonderful atmosphere. I mean, obviously, the mezcal selection was out of this world. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was a really special spot. Thank you. I really mm-hmm. appreciate that. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to be possible to have a mezcal like that list like that anywhere else. Yeah, probably for the best. <laughs> but uh, you know, it was great while it lasted. Yeah, and and so now you find yourself in another new kind of situation and sure. new experience. Yeah, so I've been the, the the general manager of Claro for about a month now, uh, doing a lot of work on mezcal and agave spirits in general, and you know that's only like a that's my maybe my favorite portion of the job, but you know obviously yeah. it's only a small portion of the job too. Well, I mean, we, we were talking a little bit about this before we started the podcast, but like you find yourself kind of able to focus in a different way than being you know the owner, operator, general manager. It's much everything. better, yes. <laughs> yeah. Much yeah. less stressful. Yeah. So people, when you go see him at Claro, you're getting the best of them. <laughs> he, actually, he actually will talk to you. I will actually you. talk to you. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll you don't see him running back and forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot to talk about today. Um, I know that you've traveled and continue to travel back and forth to different regions of Mexico. And so we'll, we'll for sure get to that. But I figured um, let's just start by talking about the expression that you brought today. Uh, sure. Because that's... Very oh, you fun. put the Lamparillo, didn't you? Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, so the Lamparillo is from Durango. Uh, I was on a trip to Durango with um, a couple of other people that you've interviewed on the show um, who also are, you know, brought back some wonderful mezcals. Shout out and to Tess. Shout out to Tess. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you'll interview some other people in the future. Definitely, yeah. We, we've got them on the list, um, a couple confirmed, and so Fun. it'll be good, yeah. So Durango, the way, you know, Durango is... is really interesting and just super different from what you see in Oaxaca where, you know, Oaxaca is, you know, Oaxaca almost is the Mezcal in Oaxaca is almost defined by its diversity. Um, there was a lot of diversity in Durango, but like, you know, the, the through lines were a lot clearer and it became kind of like, I think one of the things that we talked about after the trip was like, we really know what questions to ask about Mezcal and Durango now. Like we certainly don't know all the answers and that would be crazy to expect, but like, you know, we we get we can see what the style is. We can see what you know what the, the setups is. The setups are completely different. Very different, yeah. So uh, what you would tend to see, and and so the one that you're pouring, I was not actually at this palenque, or they actually call them uh, vinatas in, in Durango. Um, this is no, they're they're both in Nombre de Dios, which is like east of Durango City, and is really, you know, I don't want to call it the Matatlan of 
uh, Durango, but in a sense, like it's like if you're trying to think of something kind of an easy comparison. It's where most of the fincas, where, yeah, most of the fincas that have been at the areas in them exactly. I will, think will be around that. Yeah, area. I think most of what's been available in the U.S. to this point has been. They call them fincas or haciendas because I know they can be interchanged. I think they call it haciendas, right? Durango area. Um, do they call them haciendas? I think they only call the one a hacienda because it really is a hacienda. Yeah. Um, but mostly I was seeing them call them Venata or yeah. Um, Palenque, you didn't really hear much, but yeah, I think Venata was kind of really the, the common term. Right. Yeah. Venata and Vinatero, Vinatera. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Nombre de Dios, uh, you're mostly going to see Cenizo all across the, the state. I mean, the, and it's, Cenizo is really cool because the, you know, the morphology of Cenizo is super broad. So we were seeing big, crazy-looking cenizos that kind of almost look like tepixtate, and then super small cenizos that really look like tobala. Oh wow! So like really, really you know broad category of mezcal, and they make like a you know the. I get you know mezcal from Oaxaca. Like I get like you know usually get like tropical fruits. It's it's tropical there. You know you get, I get like fermented fruit notes. This I get like these I get like very little fruit. I get like cheese and mm-hmm. the lamparillo in particular has like a sweaty muskiness oh, to yeah. it that like you really like a, like i hate to do that in the microphone but like it's kind of you know it kind of makes you do that yeah it's real it is it's it's a lovely kind of funk this guy too we, we brought another one back a, a very actually that like i don't like as much and the it, sugar is burned yeah like it has a, like a like a like, like, a, like, a, like a when you when you burn like it's like not even caramelized sugar though. It's no, just it's not burnt caramel, sugar. Just yeah, burnt yeah. sugar. Like when it's past yeah. the, the caramel part and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's still tasting like the it burnt It has like part. a real dry finish too. Yep. Um, yeah, but then the tip of it is sweet. You know, at the, oh, at the it's very still end. sugar. Exactly. Yeah. I, I can't speak to the exact um, setup for the uh, for this for this uh how they were distilling, but like the other one I brought, like he was very super common. It was... Um, a you know a copper still with a wood hat basically you know so you basically are sitting a piece of wood on top with a pipe that led to a copper condenser you know cooling in a, in a tank um the fermentation honestly was the most interesting part about durango where it was much much shorter than any of us anticipated and tiny right like tiny, tiny. yeah yeah so like the temperature so i'm still i'm still trying to you know i'm i obviously come from a, a legal background much more of a soft science background so like <laughs> you know the mecha- the mechanisms are a little you know i understand them but like you know it's still kind of more like broad strokes for me in a lot of ways but the way that the firm the, the the weather there is super swings you know it was like 80 degrees in the day it was 30 degrees at night and they would ferment in much more shallow almost like coffins that were either like cement or lined with wood and the they'd, they'd pump in hot water and they'd agitate it a lot. Pump like into the mash? Yeah, so into the mash, they'd put hot water, they'd bring in hot water, oh. you know, and bring the, the level up. Uh-huh. And then they would be agitating it quite a bit. And typically, some people were saying, like, it was. Is that for airing it? Like to create oxygen? I, it in kinda, the mix? Yeah, it cre- exactly. Mm-hmm. So it creates yeah. some oxygen. It kind of moves everything around a little bit. Yeah, it, it should, in it theory, it speeds up yeah. fermentation. Um, oh, you're giving the food to whatever bacteria. Yes, and especially there. pumping the hot water into like yeah. it should. That should you know help give it an initial kickstart as well. Um, but uh, so what's the timing for this? Some people were saying, you know, and a day, day and a half, oh, wow. which was cra- crazy. Um, most people were like two, three days, which even for you know Oaxaca, like that's the super, super low end. I think you know we were. I you know I've tasted stuff from Oaxaca that's like 
30 day fermented. Oh, and yeah, 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 yeah. A so, lot of people have come in here and been like, it really, just, it ranges the gamut. Yeah, but I've yeah. not heard of anything this short. We, I, talk, we talk with Tess a little bit about mm -hmm. the location of what Durango is and mm -hmm. is worth mentioning again. Nor Durango is north of Mexico. North of Mexico City, it's northwest, not coastal. northwest Mexico. It yeah. basically has a, the biggest mountain range on, on the country on the left of the city. Yes. And then just flat. It feels like you're in Colorado. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. The the topography is super interesting yeah. because you don't have that that combination of high altitude mountains with low low valleys. Right, right, right. Anywhere else? Right. Are these cenizos the kind that'll also attach themselves to like the side of a cliff? No, okay. no. Um, That's more like like pololo. Yes, yeah. um, but then and then also you have to be careful because there's cenizo in. Oaxaca that's different I know yeah. we, we need to just clarify once again um Cenizo is the common name and when we're talking about the Cenizo from um Durango we're talking about the Duran Durangensis yes. that is yeah. exclusive yeah. to uh, yeah. not endemic to the yeah. area yeah, yeah. I think they it's really if you can it's good to talk about the scientific name along with the common mm -hmm. name yeah. absolutely yeah so that's really fascinating and yeah. so then they go and they do um a Double uh, double distillation. Or? Correct. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, nobody was using like uh, refrescadores or anything okay. like that. Uh, uh, yeah. No. Every, most everything was double double distilled. And and the uh, vinateras that you went to, or the vinatas that you went to. I'm sorry. Um, they were all pretty much using the cenizo. Basically, everybody used cenizo. Uh -huh. uh, it really. Um, Seems that there's there's a billion hybrids. There's a lot, yeah. So well, like I was saying, morphology is broad because they reproduce they, they, by yeah, seed. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. you know, the further south you got, there was like uh, Masbario, there was Verde, Lampario. Um, there's an Angostifolia variant called Tepemete. Yeah. Um, I we'll tried that one. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, did did Tess bring like the Lagrimas Tepemete, yeah. or she brought a different one? No, Tepemete from Lang the Lagrimas yeah. one is really nice. Yeah. Hundred fifty dollars though. <laughs> it's for those special she, occasions. She, like, she did spend some money over there, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's our cost. So if we were selling that, that would be like a twenty-five, thirty-dollar ounce, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. That you know, if after you learn and see and and understand the whole process of mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know yes, that every, that's, everybody that's everybody is getting paid in the right ways and that there's something to be said for that. You hope so. Yeah. You do hope so. Yeah. yeah, you do. And I mean, all we can do is like talk to people that are as close to the source as mm -hmm. possible. But yeah, you know, the further along you get, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. the less transparent things and become. Like in particular is doing a lot of good things. They're doing a lot of stuff in-house, but uh, I brought that Masbrio too, but mm -hmm. like they're buying some other stuff too. Mm -hmm. So it's like they're, they're interesting. They're kind of like a mix of like a couple other, like when you think of like a brand, like they kind of do a, a couple of different things, but and they're making some stuff themselves and buying some other stuff. On your experience from Oaxaca to Durango, that they're like night and day probably. Um, so the setup in Durango is my understanding. We haven't been there yet, mm -hmm. uh, but it's my understanding that you are part of a bigger hacienda that has the Vinateria, but they are, have land and they have other crops going on is not the only business or at least it was there was something on, like that's what i understand when when tess was telling us i saw some of that um not all of it but yeah I'm one, trying to think of, some of the vinaterias was part of the business not the only business interesting i don't i think because tess was out there like a day earlier than i was yeah. so i think she might have seen something else the first vinateria um, that it was bigger yeah, the first one they were. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. they it was were almost like. A oh, hotel I see what you're talking thing, about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yes. Oh, of course. Yeah, they they're doing it right. They have like a, they're building like a spa and a and a uh, tamoya. No, not tamoya. Um, temescal. Temescal. Yes. Yes. 
um and they have like there was like a restaurant right there they're yeah they're thinking very like holistically and like if people are going to be here what are they going to want um a lot of the you know but we also saw like the absolute opposite of that spectrum where you know we drove like four hours south the ones in the mountain yeah yeah there's no there's no electricity there they can't you know they they can barely even get anything like gas powered out there so you know you definitely like durango you definitely experience like the extremes yeah the extremes i mean and, and we saw you know a place called 618 mezcal that was like you'd think they were making tequila there so it was, was very, that the one that was more sort of in the urban industri- part of town yeah yeah it was like it was industrial yeah. industrial mezcal, one, yeah. yeah okay yeah. okay what was interesting but, to you about that about seeing that well there's a lot of things that were interesting about that and like I, you know i've always been somebody who i want to see everything i want to see every scale of operation because like you're not going to understand anything if you only see and yeah, I think it's one. really important to state um, to everybody that's listening to this that um, the range is so broad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I think you can speak to that right yeah. now. But like, yeah, you've got those tiny little villages that like you were saying that don't have the electricity. And then you have these very what looked like to be pretty much industrial situations. Yes. So 618 was, yeah, very, you know, they had the people that we were talking to were like the head chemist and the chief engineer. So it was like much more of like a scientific operation. They had their own uh, nursery operation out back too. And then it was funny too, because they had their big, you know, gleaming factory. And then right up at there was a nursery operation. And they also built a little Venata that was making like, you know, had the wood hat and had the coffin, the coffin fermenters and everything. So they were doing, they're like, well, we're going to branch out a little bit. We're going to make this kind of mezcal. We're going to make that kind of mezcal. So too. they're doing a little bit of everything. Yeah. yeah so they're doing, what would, would, what they were doing in the um, in the Vinata be like considered um, uh, ancestral, or would it be? No, I don't think you. I don't think any of that stuff is technically be ancestral because so just artisanal then, right? Artisanal. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think that the best they can do is artisanal. But but here's the question. I mean that that's a whole bigger issue. Yeah, maybe I'm kind of <laughs> getting in the weeds a little bit. Yeah. But um, would the would the more um, industrial production be considered artisanal as well because the parameters so. are pretty broad yes i believe that they yeah. qualify under and uh that's so an fascinating as, uh, yeah, so, so an, you're an, you're at a type but yeah. the only problem that they have is the steaming right so they're steaming they have no but you can steam yeah that's yeah. what i'm saying the, the definition that's is very pretty, it's yeah. pretty broad it's, it's, yeah it's, yeah they were it was steam cooked because yeah. it's not it's not uh conic ovens no whatever like no. none of them no they were and they weren't fermenting with the bagasso either yep. they were really careful about getting all the bagasso out um they so had it really like, was more like a tequila production yeah yeah, yeah. what did it taste like, like it was okay yeah. i mean it wasn't something i would drink it was they were bottling at 38 percent yeah so like i mean that but was an interesting that's thing in mexico too yeah like, you it's, know it's not something that like we get the you know the gas fuel it's really the funny. airplanes and over yeah. there nobody wants to drink it's, it's so like, funny oh, just bring it over man no problem <laughs> I like it, I and I've I've been trying to kind of work back to why that's so like Americans like maybe from drinking bourbon and whiskey like we're used to like yeah. something like punching you in the face like that. It doesn't always necessarily mean that the higher proof is the better quality. No, though. absolutely yeah. not. And sometimes the higher proof stuff tastes like you know, it's like easily or it tastes yeah. either like t- tastes like gasoline or is like. I would have no idea that this right. is fifty five percent alcohol. You know, girl, oh, and girl, I just had three. Girl, yeah. Oh no! Growing yeah, up yeah. in Mexico, a lot of this thing is just also you want to make more out of it. Yes, yeah, so yeah. It's 30, a thirty eight percent. You have to do a lot of adjustments. Yes, to get to that. Yeah, if you have it in your first or second distillation, that comes out hard. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking mm-hmm. to Rio from La Stanzia, and he said that the first the first pass that they do with the Ricilla, 
is not that it's not undrinkable, but it's an acquired taste, to say mm-hmm. the least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of those things that you know, with with that specific liquor, nobody was like it was not in the map because it required a lot of stamina to drink it. <laughs> but then they figure out a way to to do a second distillation, and what we tried from him mm-hmm. was delicious. It yeah. was beautiful. And I was yeah. like, yeah. Hmm. So if you do one more pass that happens but then if you want to make more of that that's that's when you start doing like the 38 40 yeah exactly like they were like doing that. something where they were doing three passes too oh yeah. really i think they had like a you know like a premium one or something that was like maybe like 50 percent, 51 yeah um did, yeah, you, did the, you try like um the expression that was produced from the vinata no, okay. did not. Okay. I don't think they had anything for us to try. Mm-hmm. Um, That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was. They, I think they were just getting the operation started. Uh, I know Tess. Tess was talking to them a lot more than I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were. I was kind of like the the nursery guys were making some big claims, so we were kind of following them around about how how quickly their hewellas grow grow and how their, what their success rate was. So we were like, okay. I was kind of focused on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, you have here a lot. Yeah, there was a lot and to you learn. Have seen a lot. Yeah, but is this is a completely different mm-hmm. environment? So they're and this forcing is a they're forcing thing. the yeah. iwellos out of the ceniso by transplanting them. No, no, no. So they were growing from seed, and at a then they rate. yeah at oh, a faster okay. rate. I see. And they were transporting the iwellos out to the to the field. And then they were saying we're getting a hundred percent success rate of transporting the Iwellos. Is that possible? You know, Nature might, is pretty tough. <laughs> well, the only thing that I will have to say in, in their defense ish is that coming from having family in the north of Mexico and Sinaloa, uh, the engineering of agriculture up north it is extremely efficient compared to the one in the south that's interesting that's it's really cool. like you have tomato you have all these crops that they're like there's there's a i guess there is how, so much more like large-scale farming going on up there too yes, yeah that, but also there has been for many many years like it's you know you remember hearing these things and it's kind of funny like the israelis mm-hmm. will come to culiacan sinaloa to specifically help uh train people to do whatever cropping engineering cool. happening funny. for tomato yeah and then you have uh the the people in 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 the area will make business like um a friend of mine has a, fertil- a fertilizer made out of worm mm-hmm. that makes your plant go probably twice the size okay. of the tomato so that happens yeah naturally yeah so Maybe, yeah. Maybe they have figured Maybe out something. Yeah, something you know, it's, it's one of those things. Like they, they, there is a bigger, mm-hmm. more invested uh, agronomical world. Yeah, it was on, very interesting to see yeah. that level of that scale yeah. within Durango, and really trying to. Uh, There's more money too. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of money. Pest was mentioning. Yeah. Well, it's it's silver country. Right. Mm-hmm. Their right. minds. Yeah. yeah. There so, was like when we were at the airport, there was like it was the only other white people there were it was us and then it was like uh people who worked for a mining company. Yeah. Because they're they're still actively mining. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's, yeah. A, there's a lot of money. Durango's kinda weird. Like you don't hear it in like uh leisure and travel. You don't hear it in any <laughs> of these places, but they have really there's some nice money. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's a completely different dynamic than when you hear about Oaxaca and and how people are creating the distillates and living 
Yeah, I guess the topography of Oaxaca kind of makes it so much more. Um, everybody's so much more isolated than in Durango, you know. Yeah. There, there's it's so much more like separate communities in Oaxaca too. With, right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's always something to consider. If we can talk just a little bit about the distribution process, I can really speak much. I can speak, you know, the most cogently from like my perspective as like a you know as a former mezcal bar owner and now as a GM and buyer. Uh, and kind of what, you know, how we try to um, support, you know, mezcal brands that we like. And, you know, a uh, brand is always kind of that, like a sticky uh, conversation when it comes to mezcal. But um, we'll talk in general terms. <laughs> let's, let's <say> expressions. <laughs> expressions. That expressions. That you're Just the mezcal for. that we like in general. Yeah. And you look um, into. Yep. Yeah. So, like, uh, we. Um, where to start? Where to start? Um, so, you know, a lot of what I. You know, what I taste now is either like obviously is like brought to us either through a distributor or it's something that I'm tasting in Mexico. And I'm like, we really want to like we were talking before, like I want to sell that at my bar in, in New York. So like how do we make this happen? So, you know, we've, you know, we've been buying a lot of mezcal. I, I've been buying a lot of mezcal for the last like, three years or so in New York. And, you know, one of the things from, that from the distributors mostly from the distributors. Yeah. I mean, either, you know, there's a couple of models where most stuff is coming through a distributor. Most stuff, you know, goes from a brand to an importer to a distributor and from the distributor to us. So there's a lot of, you know, we were talking about before in that chain. And that's the legal road. You yeah. Know, that, that's yeah, yeah. how it, that's how you it can self distribute, sort of self distribute in a sense where, there's warehouses that will hold your stuff that you pay a fee to that you pay a fee to and the person who either like owns the brand or if the brand hired somebody to actually do the legwork you place the order through that person and they release it from the warehouse um you know i think the most well-known well-known brand that works that way is respiral mm -hmm. where they're doing desolado de agave it's uncertified mezcal but they don't work through a distributor they're self-distributing essentially so you have to you know call up alex and be like do the business. Yeah. yeah. You got you to just do it. So, yeah. you know, that's that's one way to go about it. You know, most people are trying, most brands want to get through a distributor because, you know, they're going to, there's another level of cost involved, but, you know. They'll have more reach. They'll have way yeah, more reach. Of course. Yeah, of course. More than what you can pay one person. Obviously, there's, there's a, a level of scale that a distributor, a good distributor has that, you know, you would need, you know. A dozen salespeople in New York to be able to achieve that. And you know what? With Mascal, that is, we, we have talked this over and over. The level of education, exactly, of your rep, it's difficult. The level of education of your client, yeah. the level of education of your restaurant, and we can go on and on and yeah, on. Yeah. So when you have the best juice, it doesn't matter. Not at all. If they can, like, they try it and they, they might, okay, I like it, mm -hmm. but why? Yes. And then it becomes a whole different three-hour conversation of why you like it. And, and what is a brand? Yes. And, and, and the brand... What is the, Mezcal? And at the end of it, well, I think the brand of. gets... Yeah. And at the end of it, I think the brand just slides to the side because mm -hmm. there's so much other things to be concerned of production. And right, right. And, and this is kind of what I was talking about before. There's a... I, I kind of feel personally, as somebody who's tried a lot of Mezcal available in New York in the last few years... You know, there's we're kind of in this weird position where we're lucky and we're unlucky where there's a glut of good mezcal right now. Like really, it's only happened within the last eight months or so that I feel like, you know, even at Madre where we had 260 bottles at one point, you know, it was become we, we dropped that down to 200, but it was still like 
you know, we got to a point of 200 and it was like, there was still more stuff coming in that we really liked. And, and really you didn't wanted. want to say no to it. You exactly. Like, yes. And you want you know, yeah. at 200 bottles is a different, um, calculation where it's like, I don't want to add more stuff. And like, am I going to, you know, do this at the expense of the other stuff I have already. And that's kind of a calculation that a lot of you know, distributors have to make where now there's a ton of good mezcal here. How much bandwidth does, you know, a, a, um, you know, somebody who works with a distributor have to not only learn about each individual mezcal, but then to be able to sell it knowledgeably to somebody who knows about mezcal. And, you know, the problem with that is luckily for everyone, I guess, if you can call it luckily, you know, there's still this huge knowledge gap, you know, across every level. So a lot of people I feel like are selling and buying in the dark and, you know, that's or, something or not buying or not buying at all because, because they don't know. Go, and they're go, like, well, go, I'll just it, buy a tequila. It can be very then. overwhelming. You go, right. you go to Absolutely. these bars that you will say you're like a couple of days ago, I was in Soho stopping to a really, really, really nice restaurant with a really nice bar. And I'm like, you know, maybe I won't eat, but I will splurge in a $20 mezcal. Mm-hmm. Choices. Yeah. <laughs> so I walk in and Casa Amigos, Casa Amigos. Yeah. And I'm like, enough. I'm going to eat the $20 fries <laughs> instead of this. <laughs> and and the thing is, I couldn't understand. Like, you probably have more walking uh, clientele than anybody else in the world. Of course. And you cannot offer the quality that a place like okay. yours had in you know so, farther out in, in in brooklyn that is it's, it's like but i don't think it's a matter of capability of buying right of course and like should they even be dipping their toe into that water too like yeah. but what what about this what about you have somebody that is not quite as knowledgeable but is willing mm-hmm. what are some of the first questions that they should be asking the distributor they should be the first question. I mean, they should know who's making the mezcal first of all. You know, uh, essentially take the Vago label and just work your way down that Vago label mm-hmm. and ask all those questions. And Vago being a brand that has a, one of those labels where they just give you every piece of information. And they were really the first people doing that. And yeah. like they, you we know, talk often on this uh, program about how everything, like the information that we have access to, is on that label. Yeah. And also, what you know, you can go online and you can check out and see what people are saying about mm-hmm. it, and you know, look at the website and you know whatnot. But but every like the most important immediate information is on that label yeah i mean the you know and, and that's be. why i love yeah that's why i love vago i mean then basically you get in that i i, I always get in that conversation about wh- what is the brand like is the brand you know a wealthy guy in mexico city who wants to play mezcal is it that's a family is it a family that owns the brand and is working with an importer like is very it, little yeah there's very little of that i mean is it thank you is it um you know a negociant essentially where you know, it's a guy who maybe has very good taste in mezcal and is going, you know, driving through Oaxaca and buying batches and, and bottling those under, you know, his label. You know, it could be a lot of different things. You yeah, know, because rebottling, that's, that's the other, you know, a very important point to, to make is rebottling happens everywhere. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's probably 90% of the production of mezcal. Can you explain gets, what you mean by rebottling? It's almost uh, not even it's, rebottling. It's almost get, like... You get a palenque, you make a contract with them, you buy the juice from them, you get it in probably giant plastic jugs, get it to a warehouse, have your machine or by hand. They can be both ways. 
put your labels by hand most of the time because the machine is very expensive to do it. So there's very little people that have the machine to put the labels. So you see all this Instagram posting, they're like, oh, label by hand. Yes, because you don't have any other <laughs> way to do it because it's expensive and it's complicated. But basically the juice that you're selling is manufactured as raw materials from somebody else's palate. Right. There's nothing wrong. No, there's, absolutely there's, not. Is, I mean, that's how is, most of it comes. How it works. Is that information that a distributor would have access to? Not always. I mean, they should have access to that. Like, you know, the it, it before the distributor tells you when when you read who made it. Oh yeah, if yeah. If you start understanding this world, it's like okay, so and so and so mescaleros work in so and so area and make oh, this and this label has the same mescalero. Maybe it's the same mm-hmm, palenque. Mm-hmm. If it's the same yeah. nom too, like you can really see. You know, it's interesting to see, like, if the distributor doesn't know, like, did the person who actually made that contract, like, ask those questions? Like, you can Probably really not. kind of judge whether, you know, the quality of kind of their book in general by, like, knowing did they ask the right questions or not. You mentioned something that, you know, the, I, I don't think we have all asked anybody else, but you're a lawyer, so you might be interested sure. to ask you. The NOM. So there's the, there's the, the, the newest regulations from last year. Nom 070, is that what it is? I always forget the number. So it's a number label that you see on a right. bottle. Right, so there's there's that, and then there's the number, it's the same thing as with tequila, where you should be able to look at a bottle, a, a certified mezcal, and it has a um, a specific number that you can then trace back to where it was made. It's N-O-M. N-O-M, and it'll have like 1497 or whatever. And so it'll, it's basically a, a little... Uh, code yes every certified palenque will have that will determine the code correct and you should in theory be able to look it up and find out exactly where it goes to yeah in theory you should it's the label of the palenque you shouldn't really be buying bottles in the first place where you have to find out where it's made from the knob to like you want you want you want somebody you want transparency you want like somebody should be you know put a bottle down and it says made by alberto ortiz or you know Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's interesting because if you see any other liquor it's rare that you s- the amount of information that mezcal, not tequila, not whiskey, that mezcal has. I don't think many other labels has, no, or, or maybe not many at all. Like you have the mezcalero, you have the area, you have the oven, you have the fermentation. If there's a few different things in the fermentation, mm-hmm. you have a patchouli. Like it's it's so it much gets deep, and especially yeah. I like on the the new Cinco Centios bottles. It says it's like you know. 85 Tobala Agaves and 5 Sierra yeah, Nega- Negra Evade. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then you start learning that the percentage oh. is, is, the, is the meat yeah. of the The percentage, like the yield. You get the yields kind of in your head. Like, you and know. then yeah. they're also, I mean, uh, provided the information is true and we're, we're going under good faith that it is, um, you also get to have a feel for, um, you know, we, t- we also talk a lot about like, reforestation about taking too many wild agaves from the land about how generally speaking you know spend most of your time with the cultivated stuff Mm -hmm. and you know do those really special occasions for like the wild harvested stuff so if you know that a brand is using uh, you know some some wild but mostly cultivated you know there's there's different perspectives to be had absolutely you can kind of even see it like you're saying you can see it in what the skews are by like you know, if they're like, they only have wild agaves and, you know, maybe this is not the most sustainable brand and you need to do more research. If they're like, no, we got an espadine and we got a field blend and the field blend changes every year. I'd be like, okay, I'm into this. Absolutely. Because there's, you know, there's, there's a super interesting point and I don't think we have touched it anywhere else on, on the podcast. That is, yes, we love 
uh, while agave. Yes, we will love that to be the only way that you drink it, but most likely it will be a $500 bottle, the least. <laughs> if, if it was sustainable. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, because you will have to wait maybe every other eight, 10 years yeah. to have a batch of real good and, and let the plants do their thing. Mm -hmm. But maybe because we like agave and because we like mezcal, it should be something that, yes, you treat yourself and you do the research and, and, and at, in, enjoy the leaser, less complicated right. brands as a daily or... And enjoy you know. the espadines and enjoy the cenizos. Yes. I don't know? even see espadines less complicated anymore. That's like honestly what I'm drinking right now. I'm yeah. drinking like... And, yeah. and it was really fun to really... Uh, the new list we did at Claro to like be like, I want this list to focus on espadines and field blends. And, and if you do it right, you can have an amazing, amazing flights. No one, so not good. two. You can have, <laughs> there's so much priority right now or so much... Uh, capability to have many many bottles of mm -hmm. the same agave not the same process right. you can have this amazing experience right, absolutely. so you're getting a tiny bit ahead of where I want to be right now <laughs> but you know I hear you use this term field blend uh -huh. and nobody's used that yet um, that we've had so I'd like for you to explain what you mean by that and and is it something that you would find on a label or would that be how somebody would describe it to you at a restaurant perhaps if you were like having a tasting there's a lot of ways that it's being described I've kind of gone back and forth I've heard like a lot of different opinions on how what even to call this so you know the the story goes and, and it was interesting that I kind of got some uh, some pushback on that in Durango but I'll, I'll circle back to that so a field blend would essentially be Usually it's what you see is espadine. You know, it's basically what was ripe at the time that they were going to make mezcal. So usually there's some espadine. Usually there's some Karwinski. A lot of times, <coughs> excuse me, it would just be espadine Karwinski. You know, you'll see some that are like an espadine, a Karwinski, maybe like Coyote or Tepecstati or Tovalov thrown in too. And you have to explain this in, in a very short way. That is, these plants don't wait for you. Right. When they're ready. Right. You harvest. Yeah, and it depends period. too. It could it could depend too whether like you did. You like can a, do a capon. But I was that's about a whole to say yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So we could get into that too. Um, and I but, think uh, it was used because sometimes like they went the weight on something. There was there was too little or too much in one <laughs> like way, like, so they needed to balance. So by doing the capon, the first guy's like, uh, 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 let's just let's just time. kill it. <laughs> so when the capon, just to remind everybody. Um, that it's when you chop the quiote so that it cannot go to flour anymore and all the sugar gets put into the pina and well yes and 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 it has if you have the chance there's a few of them the few of them out there uh i just got an espadine i was very lucky that the story that i got from justin is that it was a three year or four year capon espadine which one was that the one that we tried which is insane which that, yeah that and is, I'm, that I'm, is you don't mm -hmm. they don't have it on the bottle so mm -hmm. exactly i got it i got it from the person that knows yeah, because justin can sells mezcal as good as anybody in probably the country but yep. like i can only speak to new york but um but like speaking of capon too like when going back to like that label conversation until Honestly, until Respiral was labeling as Capone, nobody even knew that Capone was like a thing, really, unless or, you were down there, or whether it. it was important to mention it, or, you know, I'm, I'm sure that most of the mezcal that we tried before, you yes. know, Alex labeled that as Espadine Capone, was also Capone, right. and they but just didn't just think didn't to know. label it, because yeah. that's like how they did it, or, you know, what's the blend of Capone to non-Capone of agave, like, 
that's like a whole other level and of I stuff that people that still the way, the way that this stuff is going to start happening is you're going to have people like Westboro that are doing it, but then you're also going to have people on the consumer end that are asking for the information. You're going to have people that are on the purchasing end, um, you know, wholesale asking for the information. The, and the taste change. Because I think that it's safe to say that the more information, the more transparent you are, the more likely you're going to sell your product. I hope so. I hope so too. Well, <laughs> in theory, gonna, yes. But I know. But it's also going to make you more careful of what you buy. Yes. And and that is that is a thin line of, and that, for a brand, is, is complicated. Well, for people like us that care about it, and hopefully everybody that's listening, this is how we make a difference. We always talk about mm-hmm. what can we do? What can we do? This is what you do. If you see a label and it doesn't say much and you can't really figure out what's going on, maybe leave it for a later date after you can figure out more about it. And I'm not saying that every label is on point because we just had a, um, a, a producer owner on the podcast. I was going to say something about Rio. Yeah. And he was saying like, he was actually kind of a little surprised that we were like, Oh, why don't you put this information on it? Because, you know, not b- living in the States and being here all the time, you're not on the pulse of what people right, are asking for. It's a totally for different culture. And, like, what we're what talking about. and so when we were saying that to him, he was like, Whoa, he's like, well, I can <laughs> do that. He's like, it's not hard to like, you know, change the label up and like add this information. And so I think, you know, I think it's going to be a slow evolution, but mm-hmm. I hope that there's people like us that'll just push it forward Mm -hmm. just to keep going just a little bit further with the distribution um aspect so you're you're a maybe you're a bar owner Mm -hmm. with less access to traveling to oaxaca maybe your distributor is is fairly knowledgeable but you want you want more you know Mm -hmm. would you direct them to any literature a website i don't Um, know mezcal reviews is really nice Mm -hmm. they're they're they've gotten very comprehensive in the last few years and you know i that's for me that's usually like an easy quick reference um jay schroeder's book just came out understanding oh, yeah. mezcal is really mezcal. good it's a wonderful that's a wonderful intro book oh for yeah anybody and everybody and also it makes a great gift yes and it's like a three-hour read yeah. and I, like it filled in a lot of gaps in my knowledge too but it also is written in a way that like yeah, if you he don't was know anything to about mezcal, hit all the points yeah, in a really, really concise way where mm-hmm. it's not overwhelming which yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed that I don't remember how much he talks about specifically on like labeling and buying. He he does talk he talks very broadly about buying and we kind of share like a similar uh, ethos. But um, you know, as far as like the questions to ask, like going back to that Vago label, like for me that's the place to start. And you know, Jay and I actually talked about putting together like a little doc that's like you know almost like a uh, cheat sheet to like what to ask about you know what are the questions to ask i think that's a great idea yeah, that would be if you want to sort of workshop that we can post it on our website just yeah, for, this, for, for this conversation mm-hmm. and then you know we can work it out further cool. we have friends in common and probably you have stopped in in situ a few times mm-hmm. and that is one of those places that also is is insanely knowledgeable but also each bottle you turn it around and it's like a there's a story you know, a novel yeah. of where yeah. it is but but the novel comes also when you sit down and you have a, a flight with them it's fascinating it's, yeah it's, i mean really the story amazing. is yeah. like it's a you know it's a discovery of such a unique spirit that and it was never about the brand yeah. she never talked about uh, as a me uh, you know us in situ no it was the palenque the palenquero the area the agave uh you know the multiple hybrids the complicated methods sure. the breaking out the pot like all these kind of things that we have talked in yeah. all the different uh episodes that it was like a crash a crash course yeah yeah you can easily kind of equate that to what you were saying earlier about like the mechanics of selling mm-hmm. right like 
talk to me a little bit about that because you've been doing this for for quite a few years now and so i'm sure that like your technique has kind of evolved and like what you're willing to give versus what you think is really important i'm sure part yeah, of absolutely. it has to do with like reading the person yeah you yeah know, yeah no you don't want to be standing vibe. over somebody with a bottle and talking about like the production methods and fermentation <laughs> and, they're like, and they're like looking at their phones and like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. no you, you definitely need to be good at reading the room yeah. um because the people who want to talk about it like really want to talk about it um you know the the big big picture like the easiest things that you know i've the easiest ways i've involved are i'm not carrying as much mezcal you know we're we're at claro we're we're gonna try and be around around 100 bottles which is still a lot and you know it's impossible to expect a server to know every hundred of those bottles right you know and you know be able to rattle off that information so then do you have like one person that would be like the mezcal sommelier or i mean when i'm on the floor that tends to be me because like i just like selling mezcal and like talking about it with people and if people but but you research yeah i research it's not just like oh i drink it and i know about it no there's no there's a lot to be yeah i'm reading about it anything any information i can find i'm i'm finding you know that becomes that's still very difficult to find like you know i said mezcal reviews but mezcal reviews is like Oh, you know what? I'd also like to just shout out the website Mezcalistas. Yeah, they're great. Because they're fantastic and their archive is stupendous. Mm -hmm. So if you have big questions and want to go kind of deep, check them out too. Yeah, Mezcal Reviews is more for like who is the producer for this specific Mezcal or, you know, one like, you know, actual fact on the ground that you want to be able to confirm or check. Um, Yeah, but that there's just like a still just such a dearth of information and you know the role that i have is this weird gatekeeper role where i'm like a gatekeeper and advocate for uh for what we carry and what we carry is often like a you know there a lot goes into that decision it's like a you know purely monetary choice there's a political choice there's taste you know there's a lot of factors that go into that decision too and you know the factors that go into that to that decision also kind of control how i'm going to sell that mezcal and also what your guest is presenting to you, because, you know, maybe they say, hey, listen, like, I don't like I, I don't know, but I, I don't know how much I want to spend. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and I am seeing here that I could have a flight that is forty five dollars. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a flight that's like a hundred. Like, yeah. what's the difference, man? Well, going back to that, too, we've. <laughs> how do you explain that to them? <laughs> <laughs> you did it really well on other. And like the flights. You ha- you oh, had yeah, our a, flights are great. You had you had the best mm-hmm. initial tiers. That yeah, it will completely get you. Yeah, into why it. don't you explain that to my the thought, audience? Yeah, my I thoughts on that have evolved really a lot. Like we, so like, I'm going back to thinking about all those flights at, at Madre, where you know the the flights evolved a lot too at Madre, and they've evolved to into Claro. Um, at Madre, you know, there's you know you always kind of want to provide an introductory flight. That flight's typically going to be three espadines. Um, I've always found, I've always, I love New Racer Solidad. I've always found that that's an, an amazing teaching tool for like somebody who's like, tell me about Med- I don't know anything about Metzcal. And I'm like, let me show you New Racer Solidad and you can, you know, try a couple of different Espadina expressions from different producers throughout Oaxaca, different production methods. And these taste like totally different spirits. Do you find not saying much was better than saying a lot? Because the taste itself is gonna yeah they're speaking they're themselves yeah. yeah I mean I I like like what I just said I I say there's these six mezcals you know these are the ones that I really like uh, and I usually I'll pour two that are very you know you can you extreme. can find two yeah. that are very extreme like the the Ahutla and like the Zoquilan yeah. I think are like the two that I, in the La Chigui are the ones that I kind of really go to a lot because they're all three of those are super different very expressive 
and very expressive of the the maker too. So you can be like, try the new Mr. Soledad. Oh, now they have an El Hogorio from that, you know, that same producer as well. You should try that too. I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I'm truly following, you know, how, um, you know, Casa Cortez and Backbar and Skernik are, you know, that's how they sell it too. And it, it, it makes, to- it makes so much sense. Um, there's, there's a, there's a sequence. Yes. It's a really nice sequence. Right now we're pouring at, at, um, Claro. There's two new extra solid ads. I think it's the Chigui and the Ehula. And then we're pouring a, the uh, Berta Vasquez Espadine from Respiral. When you say Ehutla, just to make a, a, a notice, is this the area? What's that? The Hutla is the area where, where this Espadine is Yes, yes. Made. I'm sorry. It's yeah, yeah. And it says so on the bottle. Yeah, the bottles are labeled according to the region within Oaxaca where they're made. That's a really lovely flight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's great. I would be super happy with that flight. It's like $24 for three ounces That's of mezcal. super affordable. Yeah, it's wow. great. And then yeah. we have a deeper, we, we, we introduced like a deeper uh espadine flight because i'm really like i said i'm focused on selling espadines right now um which is called la merzon um and that has i'm trying to think what's on that there's an espadine and Baro from tio pedro the cinco sentidos one that just came out there is um, that's a high ubp yeah yeah then there's the the <laughs> other espadine the um the 2014 from San Luis del Rio from uh, Hugorio. and San Luis del Rio just to make a note is is probably one of the spicy yeah. ones that yeah, you're yeah. like this doesn't taste like the other ones and like it is that one's really good and it's really, really <laughs> good yeah um, and I can't remember what the third is off the top of my head so we have a couple of Espadine flights mm-hmm. like those are the ones that I hit um, you know we're still doing like a Pachuga flight uh, and we're doing like a Karwinski flight and we're doing a uh, outside Oaxaca flight I really like pouring outside yeah, Oaxaca outside flights Oaxaca, that's cool. um, you know we you, you know can, you, it's fascinating you can do this this Espadine flight and one expensive, and, and one expensive to you choose yeah like yeah, just yeah. just because having the one two three mm-hmm. opens your palate lets you understand uh, it you gives mean two you, it is gives at, you, it two gives at you a the similar new, price point and then I will, one I will do at one a higher f- price point? A one flight that is, is fairly, like, is, is, is not cheap, is, is accessible. And then you can do, you know, equally, um, like, another $20, mm-hmm. one or two ounces, whatever whatever you choose that mm-hmm. happens. So, like, going going off of that, we have started pricing stuff very aggressively. Yeah. Um, because, like, this is, like, big picture. It was, like, okay, there's a lot of good mezcal now. And, and people know it and people know it and i don't like stuff sitting in my back like i don't want to buy a 150 dollars bottle of mezcal that sits on my back bar for two and a half years mm-hmm. like i want i want people let's to drink it. it yeah i want to sell it like let's sell it so and enjoy it and yeah exactly it's does that a mean good that mezcal. you're buying that bottle and cutting your prices or yeah okay. it does Ooh. so um, you said, you when you said 25 <laughs> when you said the price from the flight i was like oh that's yeah so, what yeah, yeah. so basically Oaxaca. if you so we're like allowing you to build your own flight where it's like you can pick any three mezcal and you just add up the, the one ounce price of it and subtract two. You get a two dollar discount essentially. Uh-huh. The best education that yeah. we found that is effective is, for example, going to your place and mm-hmm. saying, "I'm gonna go every Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. That is calm. There's nobody. It's gonna, yeah. you know, no is gonna be available to do a chat. Have one flight. Mm-hmm. Is basically I'm gonna go and visit my friend and leave. Yeah. If you do two flights, I'll probably pour you some more mezcal too. It, it probably yeah. will. I mean, that's and that's like how that's how I've always been. It's like if somebody kind of hits, you know, if you hit a number where like somebody's interested in mezcal, they're gonna spend some money on mezcal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like well, you're gonna get like a full experience yes. then. It I'm happens, gonna like it happens with everybody that we have friends mm-hmm. in common. Um. So 
what do you think is a common misconception that you're always kind of having to talk about? <laughs> Probably the same thing that everybody has with the, the smoky, uh, the smoky conversation. Is somebody so how, like, how do you handle that? Um, I handle it in a couple ways. I do you take a deep sigh in front of them? No, no, I don't. I, <laughs> I I'm, I'm past Learn that. Now. Okay. No, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm good. My, my do you old, roll your eyes? My old partner, my old partner would have, but I, I won't. Um. <laughs> I uh, I talk about roast. I don't talk about smoke. I think when when I'm describing it, I talk more in like a terms of like like an oven and roasting and Heat. the universe of flavors that people identify with roasting. I think is much broader than when you talk about smoke. And are they like, wait, you mean the smoke? And you say, well, I'm talking about. I'm how like, it's yeah. Cooked. I mean, there's like, I'm like, well, anything that you roast in an oven is going to have impart, you know, anything that you roast kind of in like a natural oven is going to impart some kind of smoky flavor. But you're not smoking this; you're cooking it. So, like, that's that's kind of what the, you know, if somebody's like pushing back, like, you're cooking the the agave. You're not smoking the agave. So the next step is, if somebody's like, I want the smokiest mezcal. I just, I, you know, I don't pour like I don't even do where I pour them like a shitty mezcal because I don't frankly I don't have anything on my list that would consider a shitty mezcal <laughs> absolutely anymore. yeah so Lucky there's some like really everything. good mezcals that we have right now that I've priced aggressively that are like have a you know quote unquote smoke note but it's like really more of like a really nice roast and I'm just like I'm gonna pour that I'm gonna pour them something nice and see like if they like that great I can pour them more them. yeah exactly I'm just gonna lean into it and you can talk about other aspects yeah too. absolutely yeah. I mean I, and that, and that, I think these mezcals in particular too you get that roast and you get a lot of other notes and you know the the one that i pour uh almost invariably is like the second mezcal for people would be like the derumbe semus potosi where there's no you know there's there's it's not it's not it's not not, it's not so you would give that expression to that same um guest if they were like like, hey i want to try something else that's different okay then i'm always pouring that next like Uh that you know or or something along in that or or now you know especially since i've been durango i'll pour something maybe from durango which you know it's you you're getting that roast but you're getting a fruit but then Durango, you don't get, you really don't get the fruit as much. You get like more of like a cheese. Um, but like the the production methods for the San Luis Potosi mezcals are, you know, don't really involve wood. So I'm gonna pour that, and it'll have that completely opposite flavor profile. Now I have, you know, goalposts for somebody. They're like, I tasted this. You know, the one that I poured a lot was the this this Arocano from Cinco Sentidos that we were like bought up a lot of. You know, we bought really big on it, and it has this beautiful roasted flavor to it. It's in borrow. It has like everything you'd want. Like, so you just mentioned mm-hmm. my magic word mm-hmm. that clay in clay for clay in clay. Mm-hmm. Everything clay makes it smooth, makes it oily. It's makes so it different. Delicious. And it's, it's so obvious that it never touched metal mm-hmm. because the brightness is not there. Did you read the Understanding Mezcal book yet? Like, because now I finally have that scientific background, yeah, that like I, layer. I, I just finished it for today, why actually. that clay. Like, and he, yeah. Jay was explaining to yeah. me when we were in Durango. Yeah. And I was like, oh but my they God. have. He also has these cute little illustrations mm-hmm. too. It's really, it's a great book. You guys, so, you for example, one one of the things that you just mentioned that it, it doesn't it, it doesn't involve fire, no, mm-hmm. not fire, wood, uh, wood, wood. Yeah. So, Everybody will think of like, oh, you you burn it. No. No, they're yeah, using that's a, that's an yeah. Well, the yeah, the San Luis Potosi mezcal is a steam oven, and they no, it's not a steam oven. They're fermenting. They're there's not fermenting in wood. They're fermenting in concrete above ground, and then the fire. They're using capone, not the capone. They're using quixote of the agaves to build the fire. To build the fire. 
and so there's not really wood, but it's not like a steam oven. Though. Well, what happens is like they they build the heat. Right, 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 right. To the point that is ready, mm-hmm. they put the things on. Mm-hmm. It basically is not a steam because you're not there's not water steaming. Right, but, but you're not the, getting like a. Heat. It's not like you're it's, getting it's like, like a Dutch oven. Yeah, that, oh, okay. that, would that be makes the more best. sense. That yeah, because it's not like you're getting like a mesquite wood flavor. But there's con- there's heat conduction. Yes. Yes. It's but like there's not flame. Yeah, that the, is a very important thing that a lot of people are like. The only way that you will have something smoke is when it burns and it combusts, mm-hmm. and the combustion has the smoke that happens. So this a uh, 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 turning point for a lot of people. Like none of this, uh, rarely you will see the flame active mm-hmm. while no, they cooking. put the flame down because they're just heating up the whatever yes. yeah i've seen a few i've seen some charred agaves <laughs> yeah, but, but, but it's usually the, the, the yes the yes first, absolutely the first layer and mm-hmm. and most of them they use it for food yeah you have seen that like, yeah, yeah. like oh try 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 yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. not what they want to use i have a quick question um as everybody knows because i think i say it over and over again i'm not in the industry i never have been so um i i feel like i have um full authority to ask really basic <laughs> questions. Is there ever a situation where you consider in a creative way having a pairing that includes a tequila? In a, um, like in like a flight? In like a that flight, include a tequila? Yeah. Agave flight. Yeah, I mean, I... Or like a raicilla and a sotol. Would you, would or do you keep them exclusively like paired together as like a unit? So you would do a sotol flight. You would do a raicilla flight. That's a good question. I have I haven't like put a together a flight like that before, but like I don't see why not. Especially if like you're progressing usually from lighter to like more full bodied. I mean, I would probably pour the tequila first. If right. I've actually, yeah, I have done some of that where you're you're like you're really you're really kind of providing that you know thirty thousand foot view, and I would usually I would probably in that situation I pour the tequila first. And then I poured a mezcal. Because I know just for like family and friends mm-hmm. that know nothing about mezcal. Mm-hmm. Every, like like, well, yeah, yeah, but sometimes we'll start them out with just a little tequila just to get their palate yeah. going. Yeah. Just to get I've them done like, that yeah, that's, you know, started. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's also kind of familiar for some weird Yeah, because then you get, then you're like, okay, then when you drink the mezcal, you're like, do you get some of that agave flavor from the tequila? I mean, it's important what kind of tequila you're pouring too. Like, I'm gonna pick a tequila where you get the agave flavor, where you're not really getting as much. Um, the siembra ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I pour siembra. Maybe I pour Fuerteza, but probably siembra. Um, yeah. And does Claro have a selection of Ricea and Sotol as well? We're building up the Sotol right now, okay. which is really exciting. Cool. So, uh, well, it was interesting because I found out yesterday that we are the biggest buyer of por siempre in new york <laughs> which i didn't even know like i like i said That's i started three weeks ago my friend. yeah i was like we are going through a lot of por siempre was that the, the owner that ran into you and hug you? i saw kai yeah he was he was very happy i was like because everybody was like okay what do we do about this now Thank you. um have you guys had access to the desert Desert door, desert spoon. Yeah, it was all right. Desert spoon. Yeah, I tried that. It was or it was fine. Um, there's that, just so many more sotals. What I'm referring to is a Texas made sotal. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's so many more sotals that are coming to market right now that I'm much more interested in that one. The Clande just became available, and we're getting the there's a there's a sotal agave blend that is coming tomorrow, which I'm excited about. Uh, Flor del Desierto is available too. I tried last night. Did you try the snake pachuga? Yes, I did. <laughs> So snake we're getting, pachuga? yeah, there's a snake pachuga. It has so that tall. same bite that uh, uh, the armadillo and the. And <laughs> it's the, nice. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's better than you would think, and it's you know, it has a story. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, the Ligera Sotols, we're, we're, uh, I'm like really high on right now too. Cool. Yeah. And what about Ricea? Uh, Ricea is like, there's more good Ricea's coming. Like mm-hmm. Chacolo is like something that I've been like big on for like the last like two years and like it's finally, I guess, going to be available in New York in the next like month or two. Um, you know, Lava Nosis was like a real, like, uh, really kind of opened a lot of people's eyes. But there's like yeah. so much more. It's like the gateway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And it was here. It had such an early presence. Um, yeah, good for them. Exactly, exactly. Uh, as a top shelf. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was like there was like no, and the, they, they do like really nice labeling and like it, it has. Yeah, they definitely have like a real brand recognition, especially in that that area. Um, but like. Yeah, there's more Ricea coming, like the Chocolo and the uh, Las, Las Perlas is here. It's currently called Las Perlas and, and Estancia. Estancia. Yeah. Estancia, yeah. And both of them, I tried They're very different. Got, Estancia has two of them. There's a second Estancia now? No, uh, sorry. Perlas. Uh, Las Perlas has two of them and it was a, a Verde, maybe? Oh, nice. It was, it was a, like, we tasted last night at mm-hmm. uh, La Contenta with uh, Justin and it was absolutely delicious. Wonderful. It was like yeah, I love that style. That that the wood, the woods, the wood, uh, copper combo stills yeah. like yeah. makes like a really interesting, unique mezcal. Like you know the mezante, mez, the mezante uh, are available now too. I'm like the the Santos Ricea in particular is the one that we're. You know, I I just thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we were trying to figure out like what resources you will last, right? Uh, brands, no. Yes, brands and uh, palenques. Mm-hmm. If you contact directly and say, hey, I'm going to be in Oaxaca for two weeks. Yeah. I would love to go and say hi. Most of the time, if it's not all the time, they're super open mm-hmm. to come and visit. Yeah, they should. I mean, they should. Like, yeah. it, re- it requires a little bit of and power, also, but, also, but it's not impossible at all to make a full tour of your own. Right, right. And again, and going and visit everybody. Jumping on that transparency bandwagon, like you should be willing to show your operation to yeah. other people. Absolutely. You know? And there, I know that there's more people... Um, uh, that are educators that are now forming kind of uh, groups to go out and to do some of the tours. Yeah. Um, I know it's, it's kind of a hot, a hot button item at the moment, but um, just like anything, there's some, there's some really knowledgeable people out there that are doing it. Yeah. I've heard uh, a lot of, there's a lot of people right now that I've heard like very good things about. Yeah. They're partnering with like in Durango uh, with the Vinatas and the, the Vinateros mm-hmm. and Vinateros. And they're also partnering with like, um, regulatory uh, council. Of yeah. Racia. The, 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 oh, no, the no, regulatory no, no, no. council or like the tour, tourism. the tourist boards. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not, oh. not the council for race. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking the about the qu- but they're, they're doing some of that yeah. stuff too. Like the, the, the Durango trip was, was basically, that. Yeah, it was yeah. formed by like uh, like five producers getting together and saying, "Hey, we really want to promote our stuff together. Let's, you know, let's use the power of our combined, you know, let's use yeah. our combined power to get some people down here." And look where we are. Everybody's talking, you know, where all the people in the know are talking about Durango Mescal. I know. Now. I feel like our podcast <laughs> is the know, Durango yeah, podcast. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Is is not that you're trying to highlight one specific thing, but if somebody invites you and gives you a tour. And takes care of you and shows you and and basically educates you. Yeah, sure, you're gonna come back. There's such a knowledge and marvelous things because you enjoy the experience. Absolutely, and there's such a knowledge gap right now too that any knowledge is so valuable yes. that like nobody knew anything about Durango mezcals. Mm-hmm. Like like I said, I don't, still don't know anything about Durango mezcals, but I know what questions to ask now, and I yeah. know. And they're open to visit. That's yeah. the other thing. Like they're pest beautiful. Are organ- organizing like a yeah. second trip. Of right course. After and you you, you also back. mentioned um, that like obviously anybody and everybody who is in New York um, go check out Claro and visit Noah. 
Um, and I mean, you said that you're pretty much open for inquiries, right? If people have questions. Oh yeah. No, I'll talk about mezcal all day. So. Yeah. Noah at clarobk.com. <laughs> people. If you're like, <laughs> if, if we were talking too fast and you didn't get everything, you can go back and, uh, and ask him questions. Um, well, thank you very much. Thanks Noah. for having me. Yeah. It was a pleasure. Salucita. Hey, Hey Agave is a production of Tuyo NYC. Brittany Prater is our editor. Your hosts are Gabrielle Velasquez-Zazueta and me, Sabrina Lassard. Our music is by Milagro Verde. Find them on Instagram at Milagro underscore Verde BK. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Salucita.